This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. And I'd like to ask you to go to, in your Old Testament this morning to a book in that section of the Minor Prophets called Hosea. If you have a newer Bible, it could be that uh, those pages still stick together a little bit in that portion of your Bible. It's that portion of the Old Testament that we don't often turn to, but boy, how much we should. The name Hosea actually means, are you ready for this? It means salvation. It is a derivative. It is, it is very similar to Joshua, Jehoshua, Hosea, which is the Old Testament name, are you ready for this? For Jesus. Hosea's name meant salvation. It is a rescuing plan of our, of our Almighty God to give to humanity His salvation. But the message of Hosea is, is truly a unique message. I will tell you this, it's a message of God's loyal love. As the choir sang this morning, amazing love. I said, thank you, Lord. How can it be? That's the heartbeat of the message of Hosea. It's an amazing love story. Honestly, it is. It's an incredible love story that you have here in the book of Hosea. Now, it's a book, it's a message of sin and judgment that's going to come as a consequence of person of a person's sin and yet it's a message of forgiving love that's God's heartbeat that's God's character sin cannot be overlooked judgment is as a result of individual and congregational and national sin God brings judgment and yet the heartbeat again of this message is one of forgiveness, forgiving love. You see, God ordained for Hosea to marry someone who was going to depart from him. And she was going to go into the world, this is almost too hard to express, a world of prostitution. She was going to leave him. We're going to see the story in a minute. And yet through it all, Hosea is given this divine love that God gave to him for this woman who had departed from him. Phenomenal story. The story of Hosea is told in the first three chapters. I want you to start with me in chapter 4. And notice what the Bible says beginning in verse 1. As a result of the story... We say in verse 1 of chapter 4, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. In other words, God is saying, let me have your attention. You have seen the story of Hosea. You've seen the story of his wife leaving him. You've seen him receive her back to himself. Now, people, let me have your attention. That's what it's saying. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For... The Lord hath a controversy. That's a legal term. It's a term in which God is saying, I got to take you to court. 
I have, he says, the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Every one of those words have a definition. You probably don't need any further explanation. Let me just say, take the word knowledge, knowledge of God. He says, he said, you have no perception or discernment or thoughts about me. He goes further and he, he shows him how they had committed the destruction of many of the Ten Commandments. Verse 2, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out or they break restra- all restraints and here he's going to talk about violence. Blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn. And every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. He's saying this, your sin is taking a toll on creation and on nature. Now verse 4. Yet let no man strive, and, nor reprove another. Don't blame somebody else. For thy people are as they that strive with the priest. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night. And I will destroy thy mother. He's talking about the motherland. My people are destroyed. For lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. I say again, the story of Hosea is a walking illustration, incredibly so. You see, these Old Testament prophets were men who proclaimed the message that they were given by God. They wrote those messages, and thus we have portions of Scripture. And so often these men were walking illustrations. They showed the metaphor, the teaching of God's message by, the, by an illustration of their life. And that's the case in Hosea. God told Hosea, I'm going to use you to communicate to my people. I want you to go get married. Now, you're going to have to just use your imagination here. Here's a man who knows how old he was, but he was obviously at a marrying age, and God said it's time to get married. That must have been good news, you know? And he says, I want you to marry this particular woman, and she's going to someday leave you and go to the world of harlotry. How hard that must have been to to hear that message. I mean, this is an incredible, incredible story. Now, that would have been hard to hear. But added to that had to have been the particular woman that God said, this is the one I want you to marry. When he found out, <laughs> when he found out her name, do you know Hosea's wife's name? It was Gomer. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about a funny talking guy down in Mayberry somewhere. <laughs> that had to have been tough. I don't know. I can see her walking around cleaning the house and every once in a while stopping and just saying, Shazam. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just using my imagination. 
Maybe it was a common name during those days. They got married. They had three children. And I've said this so many times, you can literally trace the history of Israel by the names of their three kids. Two boys and a girl. First one was a boy, Jezreel, which means scattered. God was saying, I'm going to scatter my people to the four winds of the earth, to the other nations. The second one was the girl. Her name was Laruhamah. Uh, surely they called her Lori for short. I don't know. Laruhama means no mercy. God says, I'm not going to give you my mercy. I'm going to scatter you and you're not going to be able to get my pity. And then the third was the boy, Loami, which means not my people. God was saying, you're going to be as if you're no longer my people. And yet it doesn't stop there. God says, I'm not going to be through with you, but I'm going to have to bring suffering to you. You see that as a nation, don't you? And even as I read through these verses in chapter 4, I don't know, it sounded sort of like the common news that you could hear on, the, on your uh, news station or online or wherever you may hear it and, and receive it. The fact is, God broke Hosea's heart and even the children. For when you come to chapter 2, at some point in time, you see his wife, Gomer, leaving her family. She leaves her husband, she leaves her children, and she goes off into the world of uh, prostitution. We're not given the length of time in which she is departed. In chapter 2, the children even plead with her to come home. What a sorry example this was. How, how a terrible account of a person's decision to go off in such drastic sin. Now, you've got to put yourself back in that culture, friends. You've got to understand something. You see this even to a, to a large degree in the Middle East today in many portions of, the, of that world. Women were not considered to be equal with men. And for a woman, a, hus, a, a, a wife of a husband and a mother of children, for her to leave that and to go off into that world in that day and age, honestly, there would have been no doubt some people, men in that culture and in that city and in that area of Hosea who said, let's kill her. Let's go find her. Let's go get stones because she should not do that to you. You're the man. And yet it didn't occur. It was horrible what she had done. And in that culture, it was considered the height of a criminal activity. I don't know how much time passes, but in that little brief chapter 3, you see the account of which Hosea buys Gomer back. Most scholars and commentators, of which I'm certainly neither, believe that Gomer was being sold more than likely at a slave auction. Whoever it was that owned her and used her and had her abused in her world of harlotry and prostitution was now through with her. And on some platform of a slave auction, he's probably selling off a bunch of of women that he no longer wants. I can't even begin to convey to you what these slave auctions look like. These individuals were, I, I say it carefully, they were stripped of everything and they were presented before the crowd so that, so that lustful, hateful, sinful men could say, yeah, I'll buy that slave and I'll make use of her and I'll, I'll get what I can out of her and so there she stands. 
And there she stands in a state of horrible ugliness of her sin, with a body racked with abuse, mistreatment. And there in that crowd somewhere was the preacher, Hosea. Did God tell him to go there to, to be prepared for this? We can't find it in those words. Maybe he did. He was the, God's prophet. I don't know if he just happened to show up just to, out of curiosity. I don't know. But when the auction began to go forth, I can imagine there were some men who began to bid for this woman that was being sold. And every time they set a price, Hosea said, I'll give a little more. Somebody else said, we'll take her for this much. And he said, I'll give this much more silver. And more and more. And finally, the voices died off and it was settled. Hosea settled, for, he bought her for 15 pieces of silver and what was called a measurement of barley. And you study the, the Old Testament, you'll find that a barley offering was what somebody gave for the sin of adultery. He gave, he gave barley as an offering and he gave 15 pieces of silver, the amount that you would pay for a slave. Now folks, would you put yourself in the thoughts and minds of this woman, Gomer? As she looked down off that platform and saw who it was that was buying her, maybe she was watching the bidding and she noticed who it was. And maybe, maybe she was thinking, does he not know it's me? What's he, why is he bidding? What's he going to do to me? And she began to tremble, no doubt. Out of fear that he could have at least had her imprisoned. He could have whipped her, had somebody else do the whipping as well. He could have had her killed. And no doubt with great fear, both external and internal, she trembles with the thought of, I'm guilty before that man. What's he going to do to me? And when the amount was settled upon, Hosea reaches up and he says, come home. I love you with a never-ending love. Friends, the story of Hosea is first of all a story. And this may be why you're here this morning or listening online. This is a story of redemption. Now, that's a word that sometimes is understood by people, but do you know what the word redemption means? The term redemption is a term that simply means the liberation, the setting free of any person by the payment of a ransom. You see that in the story. This is a story of redemption. And she stood there fearfully, nervously. She didn't know what was going to happen, but she knew this, I deserve any kind of punishment that would come my way. She knew she had been wicked. She knew she was in desperate need of deliverance. She knew that she, she could have been slain and, and everybody that was still alive would have possibly applauded for her, her slaying. She knew she didn't deserve anything. She had no hope. And then Hosea stepped in. Friends, can I tell you, this is an incredible Old Testament picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. He stepped in into the life of a person who deserves no forgiveness. We deserve eternal separation from holy God and we ought tremble before him when we recognize our sinful condition. 
Oh God, I'm guilty. Oh God, I, I fear you. I know that I am, I am a, a person deserving of eternal separation from you. And then Jesus said, I'll pay the price. He stepped in between holy God and sinful man. Wait a minute. He stepped in between holy God and you. Put your name there. And recognize there ought to be a sense of fear. You don't come, you don't come walking into the presence of God thinking I'm going to do God a great favor by coming to him and letting him have my life. You come with a sense of a deserving fear of I'm guilty of my sin. I'm concerned this morning, though you got to understand my heart. I, I have no desire, none. To make some individual who comes to church and they, they've been here for years and they have a very sensitive, what I call an introspective nature, that when a preacher starts preaching like this, they get a little nervous. They start thinking, did, did I say all the right words when I asked Jesus to save me? Did I understand everything I needed to, to understand? I don't even remember. Did I use the word repent? Listen, I have no desire to cause that sense of inappropriate doubt in anybody's heart. No way. However, I am concerned for people who have attended church services and they've gone since they've been a little child and yet they know in the depths of their being, I have never personally received Jesus Christ as my Savior. You may be sitting here this morning. You know the words, you know the language, you sing the songs, you've lived the life ever since you were a kid. You've lived the life around God's people. You may have come forward with your family and joined a church and said, yes, I, I'm saved. You may have been baptized somewhere along the way. You may have done all the motions and yet, friends, there's never been a time when you, like this woman, recognized I'm guilty before holy God. Oh, God, have mercy on my sinful soul. Deliver me. And Jesus said, I paid the price. I paid for your sin. You owe me nothing now except this. Accept what I did for you. Let me come into your life. Let me save your eternal soul. You have a body that's going to die eventually. For those of us who have got some years under the, under the uh, water, under the bridge, we, we feel that body uh, kind of slowly declining and, and uh, getting to the point of death. We feel it. The body's going to die someday. But you have a never dying soul. And that soul needs to be rescued by the only one who can rescue you. And that's Jesus, the Savior. He is the Redeemer. The story of Hosea is a story of redemption. The work of redemption, friend, is not God kind of winking at your sin saying, we'll overlook some of those things. You've been a good person. <laughs> you've been pretty good. We'll just kind of open the closet and we'll, we'll stuff all that uh, stuff that you've done. We'll, we'll push it aside. We, we won't think much on that anymore. No, that's not redemption. Friends, redemption is God canceling out all your sin. Total removal. And then he relocates you into his kingdom. He says to you, you're with me now. You are with me. Come be with me for life on earth and life eternally in heaven. And he calls you family. He calls you friend. That's an eternal rescue. That's redemption. Do you know that this morning? The story of Hosea is first of all a story of redemption. Oh, friends, if you don't know Jesus personally, we're so glad you're here.
We'd love to introduce him to you today. But secondly, it's a story of restoration. You see, this woman left her family and she went off, in, she left the family and she went off into the depths of depraved sin. And it's kind of clearly obvious, is it not? But would you go back to chapter 4 and look at what God said to his people in verse 6. What did he say? He said in verse 6, My people are, here's our word, destroyed. Now when I see the word destroyed, like you, I think about something that just, you know, is blown up and uh, it, it explodes or implodes or burns up. It's, boom, it's destroyed. Well, the old Hebrew word that's used here is, is a word, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it's a word that means to be decaying. It is that which takes place over time. It is the idea of something that is, is going, it, it's, it's unraveling. It's rusting out, sort of like a car uh, that is just not what it used to be. It's like fabric that begins to unravel in some degree. He says, my people are unraveling. My people are rusting. And here's the word I want us to focus on. He says, my people are drifting. And the drift is such a slow drift that they cannot see it happening. But it's leading to destruction. It'd be as if I was turn my back to you and I'm looking at somebody back here and I start walking backwards and I just take casual small steps. I don't know where I'm going and all of a sudden I lose my footing and boom, I fall down on the main floor down here off the platform. I drifted slowly until it led to <laughs> what would be sadly my destruction, I'm sure. He says, my people are drifting to destruction. Now here, get the picture. God used Hosea, his prophet, his preacher, and his wife, and he uses a drastic, dramatic event to get God's people their attention. They, she leaves him, and she goes off in the sand, and people rise up and say, how can this be? This isn't right. And God turns around, and he says, okay, let me tell you something. i got to take you to court. What you're so upset about, you're doing it too, but you don't see it happening. God was using something very visual, and I like that. He was using something very obvious to get our attention. He says, my people are drifting. And it's so slow. It's so incremental. It's so uh, minute. It's so little bit here, little bit there, that they don't recognize it occurring. And yet they're just as guilty, and it's going to lead to the destruction of their life. And they're going to get further and further into sin. He says, my people are drifting to destruction for lack of knowledge. You know what drifting means, don't you? I'm a Texan. Grew up in Texas. If you don't remember that, I'm reminding you. I, I, I grew up in Texas. You, you ever met a Texan? They bring it up frequently, don't they? For some of you, it may be a long week. I, I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'll squeeze it in there somewhere along the way. I grew up there and we've lived all over the country and we have moved back there, we moved back there five years ago. When you grow up in Texas, there are several things you kind of have inculcated into your brain. One is, is uh, that, you're from, that you're from Texas. I mean, it's just kind of drilled into you. Secondly, a love of football. I mean, it is, it's huge there. It's just gigantic. 
And, uh, and, and watching old westerns was the big deal when you grew up, you know, where the good guy always won, bad guy always lost, and, and you could tell the difference, white hat, black hat, all that stuff, you know, it just as a part of growing up in, that, in that, uh, that world. Now, can you not just see, can you not just see an old tumbleweed drifting, you know, caught, tossed about with the wind? Can't you see some sheriff stepping out of his office and looking at some guy in town? He goes, what you doing in my town, cowboy? And the other guy says, I'm just drifting, sheriff, that's all. (laughs) Well, keep drifting. We don't want your kind around these parts. You know, that almost puts a tear in your eye. Just, I mean, I mean it, it's worth coming to church just to hear that little demonstration. You know what drifting means? Just being tossed about, slowly passing through town. God says, my people are drifting. How? Could it be this morning you say, Morris, I'm so thankful I've been redeemed. But maybe there's a need for some restoration into a fellowship that had departed between Hosea and Gomer because there's been some casual drifting. Life has happened. You say, in what way? Let the verse explain itself. It says in verse 6, my people are drifting to destruction for lack of knowledge. That word knowledge is the knowledge of husband and wife, an intimate, intentional, sweet tightness of oneness between the two. God says, my people are not at one with me in their hearts anymore. He says they're drifting, first of all, in their spiritual development. You see, you see, like a married couple deepens and, and develops their time together. Have you ever noticed that sometimes some couples, they, the more years they spend together, they respond the same as each other. They almost begin to look like each other. Now, that scares Lynn to death to think about that. But I'm telling you, there's a sense of, I mean, they just start thinking the same and so forth. There is a, a, a process of development. Now, hear me. He says, my people don't have a heart to know me. They're drifting in their knowledge. They reject that close association. It shows up in their unfaithfulness to hear me speak to them. In my word. In the teaching of my word. Peter knew about this. Peter Peter warned his uh, associates when he wrote those two epistles to them. He said to them, grow. Keep growing in grace. Beware. Lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, you fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Keep growing in that knowledge. Don't be content where you are. James, Pastor James, called it out to his people when he said, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Keep moving toward each other. Don't drift. Could it be this morning that some of you have heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, and yet you stopped listening. You read the word of God and you walk away and you, you don't think of the fact that he spoke to you that day. 
God, I, I just heard something. I needed to hear that. That's good. You don't leave a service and say, I believe God met with me today. I heard from the Lord today. He says, my people are drifting in their spiritual development with me. They've rejected that close association. He goes on to say, he says, they have forgotten. Notice he says, he says, because that, seeing that you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The word forgot there does not mean you've forgotten to read or bring your Bible to the church service. It doesn't mean that. It means that you have refused careful attentiveness to its truth. You're not leaning into its words and hanging on to it. You, you, you you, you're reading, you're hearing it, but you just, it, you've forgotten it. What is that? That's drifting. That's drifting in that spiritual development, that refusal of careful attention into the Word of God. You're not as attentive as maybe what you once were. I, I had a teenage boy get saved at a summer camp just last summer. What a thrill it was to watch him as a 16-year-old boy. He was not familiar with church. He was not familiar. At the last moment, this church brought him to camp. They had to give him a Bible, unfamiliar with the Bible, unfamiliar with the, with the gospel, unfamiliar with that which you and I are very familiar with. And yet, <laughs> he got saved on the Tuesday night service. And I'm telling you, after every service, that boy would come up to me with tears in his eyes. And he'd say, I've never heard this before. And he says, that, 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 that one verse you said, he'd give me two or three words. He goes, where, where was that? And I'd say, well, it, it's over in Ephesians. I'm going to tell you, it was something else to watch him turn to the front part of his Bible and look at the index and find out where Ephesians was. And I just stood there and watched him in admiration. And then he got the page number and he started flipping around. And he said, oh. and I said, now find this chapter. Now look at that verse. And he found it. Folks, what a thrill it was to watch him get down on his knee on the floor. Because he didn't have a table nearby. He got on the floor with his pen and he'd underline that verse. And he'd get back up. He said, thank you. We drift from our careful attention to the truths of Scripture. Are you hungry for God this morning? You say, yeah, that's why I'm here, Mr. Preacher. Yeah, I know. Feed whatever hunger you have. Our mothers used to say to us, and maybe a girl understood it, a boy never understood it, but a mother would, would say to her kids, don't eat that, we're about to have supper. You're going to spoil your appetite. To a boy, it's like, what? I can eat this bag of chips and still eat a full plate in a moment. I'm fine. We have a lot of things spoiling our appetites. Our computers, our televisions, our, our business, our responsibilities, none of which are bad in their place. But they spoil our appetite to just hear from God. So where honestly, friends, I have no motive behind this. I just say it and, and, and leave it with you. To come back to a Sunday night service, to come back to other services, it's just not on our agenda. Why? We've just, we've spoiled our hunger. I have no intention just to say to you, I plead with you, let the story of Hosea be a message of restoration. We drift in our spiritual development and finally we drift in our spiritual devotion. If you'll notice some verses I've not read to you yet, look at verse 11. God speaks to his people when he says, whoredom 
and wine and new wine take away your heart. Okay, he's talking about the festive life. He's talking about the pleasure-seeking life. He says you've got these other idols, these other loves that have caused you to wander away. And God is saying, I don't have your heart like I once had it. You've drifted in your spiritual devotion to me. Look at verse 12. My people ask counsel, not from the Lord, but at their stocks. That's an old English word which means idols. And their staff, that's a walking stick. It's amazing what these people used to do. They used to take a walking stick and they would strip off the bark on one side of their walking stick and then they'd take that walking stick and throw it up in the air and if it landed to where the, the, the stripped bark side uh, was revealed, most of all, they would say, okay, then I'm supposed to go in this direction. But if it was on the other side, they said we're supposed to go in this way. It'd be like flipping the coin. They were, he was saying, my people are not coming to me. They're, they're going to other, other things to get direction in their life. He says, my people ask counsel at their stocks and their walking sticks declare unto them, for the spirit of whoredoms have caused them to, now my Bible says the word err, which is another word that means to go adrift. The spirit of whoredoms has caused them to drift. And they've gone a whoring from under their God. You say, Morris, those are pretty strong words. Yeah, I think maybe the Lord's trying to get my attention and yours. He says, my people drift in their spiritual development of getting to know me. And they're drifting in their spiritual devotion to me. What's an idol? You say, Morris, I don't bow down to some idol. I don't have something in my house like that. An idol is anything we look to for direction other than the Lord. An idol is anything that has captured our heart above our Lord. It's anything in our life that we say, you fulfill me. I must have you in my life. If I didn't have you, I'd be unfulfilled. Now, wait a minute. I'm grateful for my family. I'm so thankful for my sweet wife. I'm thankful for uh, grandkids now. I'm thankful for ministry. Those things are quite fulfilling. But I'm going to tell you something. Only God matters when it comes right down to it. For a full year, I fought cancer and didn't stand in any pulpit. Wondered if I ever would again. And I found myself saying, oh God. You're enough. You're all I need. You're all I have. Thankful for those who loved me and helped me through those moments. But hear me. Sometimes the Lord has to remind us that it's easy to drift into other things and get distracted. And God doesn't have your heart anymore as much as He used to have it. Who is, who or what is the Lord competing with in your life this morning? Who? What? What's occupying the throne room of your life? The story of Hosea is a story of restoration. To get us back to where David said, As the deer panteth after water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. For the living God. My friends, we are worshipers by nature. 
We are worshipers by nature. And our hearts don't just drift aimlessly. The drift is always away from God and His gospel. Away from the Savior and into the grip of something else. When Jesus is not the first love of your life, it shuts down the spiritual immune system of your life. And you and I are prone to catch any worldly sickness that's out there. Is he in first place this morning? Investigate your own heart. When I was a kid growing up in Texas, we would play at night, play down the street, me and my buddies. We'd play until it was so dark you couldn't see. We played on the corner at the corner house where Joe lived because Joe had the biggest front yard. We all had these little uh, postage stamp front yards, but he had the bigger yard, perfect for our, our football field, you know. It's the strangest thing. I've driven by his house now. It's not that big, but it sure looked big. <laughs> We'd play till it was so dark, throwing the ball around, catching it, tackling, carrying on, yapping at one another. And in the middle of all the flurry of fun and activity down at Joe's house, many times I heard a sound coming from down the street. It was a whistle. And it wasn't a coach's whistle. It was a man's whistle. But that whistle was not just any man down the street. It was my dad's whistle. And my ears were attuned to that whistle. I knew it. And when he whistled, I knew that whistle was saying one thing. It's time to come home. I just jump up after getting tackled or tackling somebody or in a conversation and I just take off. And there stood dad on the front porch. I'd come up the steps of my porch and he'd reach out his arm and he'd put his arm around me and he'd say, have you been having fun? (laughs) Yes, daddy. We've been playing football. And he'd say, yeah, I, I can tell. That was a gracious way of saying, and I can smell. (laughs) And he'd say, I heard him say it more than once. I just wanted you to come home. I say it reverently, but the message of Hosea is a message to God's people. I point the finger first at me. And he says to you and me, it's God's whistle saying, let's get back together. Let's get back to when you really went after me and pursued me. You've allowed all the things of life get your attention. Come back. Let's get back together again. Like we used to be. There's one word that's repeated more than any other word in the book of Hosea. It's the word return. That's the heartbeat of this message. God says, I want us to get back together. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, he wants to save you. He's paid the price. He's redeemed you. He's ready to rescue your soul. Come to Christ this morning and accept him. To a child of God who finds themselves with a casual drifting taking place, 
Revival is not some spooky event in your life. It's a response to the Lord to be restored to Him in development, longing to know Him, and being devoted to Him, expressing that first place love to Him. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.